0: Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome Ryan Chan back to the show. Ryan is the CEO and founder of Upkeep Maintenance Management. So definitely if you're looking for a CMMS, check out Upkeep. We discuss hiring, building a great culture, and some of Upkeep's new sensors. If your company sells products or services to engaged maintenance and reliability professionals, tell your marketing manager about Rob's Reliability Project. I have a few advertising packages available, so definitely would love to have you as a sponsor. If you're interested or you'd like to discuss advertising on the show, send me an email to Project at gmail.com. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project podcast on your favorite podcast platform and follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn for the best memes in the industry. And lastly, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, send me an email to Project at gmail.com. I really appreciate you listening. Now here's the interview with Ryan Chan. Hey guys, we are back and another special guest, a, a special returning guest, Ryan Chan is back. Ryan, how are you?
1: I'm doing awesome. Thanks so much for having me back on the show, Rob. (laughs) No,
0: no, I appreciate you joining us. I'm excited for this one. And for everyone who's listening, if you missed the first one, it was a great discussion. Go back into the archives and check that one out. Now, Ryan is the founder of Upkeep Maintenance Management and also the host of Masterminds and Maintenance Podcast. So Ryan, first, before we get rolling, tell us a little bit about Masterminds and Maintenance.
1: All right. Yeah. No, I would love to. Um, Masterminds and Maintenance is all about a podcast to surface and spotlight the, the folks in maintenance and reliability. The whole premise of it is we believe that folks in maintenance and reliability often go unnoticed for the really meaningful work that they do. So the whole premise of it is to surface and spotlight stories and, and humans in the space, their journeys of getting in there and hopefully s- share some interesting content that, that folks can learn from and also use in their day, day day-to-day jobs.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And, and I mean, if for my listeners, if you missed it, I was on episode two, I believe. So go back and check that one out for sure.
1: That's right.
0: (laughs) So Ryan, I mean, last time you came on the show, you were, I think it was like a couple weeks off of passing your CMRP exam. And I did see on LinkedIn that, a. You had, I guess it was three or four, maybe more of your team that was writing the CMRP exam. Did they happen to share any tips or learnings that they learned when they were writing the exam?
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, they absolutely did. So I'll be transparent. You know, I'm so, so proud of the team. Some people passed and some people didn't. But the whole premise behind that, you know, that's okay. What I said to them and the the entire team, is that it's not necessarily about the certification and getting that successful pass. It's really about going through the learning process and coming out saying, hey, I learned something. And so to answer that question around the insights that they shared, I think what they realized was, man, there's actually a lot of practical information that it's really hard to learn from, from just textbooks. And again, the, the reason why I really pushed our team to take this exam and and learn from it was because, you know, for us, we build to- software for, you know, folks in maintenance and reliability. We have some of the most, the brightest engineers out there in the world, but they may, may not have always stepped foot in a manufacturing facility. They may not have ever stepped foot in a, in a plant factory. So I was really pushing the team. To, you know, like, let's go out there. Let's put ourselves out there. Let's learn. And I know that there's only so much that you can learn from textbooks. But, hey, you know, if we take this test and we learn something from it, uh, you know, even if we don't pass, that's still a, that's still a success to me. Um, so they did that. They, you know, some people passed. I'm so proud of them. And I'm also super proud of the folks that, that didn't pass, too that, that uh, learned so much throughout that process. So big takeaway there, there's a lot of practical inf- information in the CRP exam that it's really difficult to learn from textbooks. You gotta go out there on the plant floor, uh, get, roll, up, roll up your sleeves and, and really understand the ins and outs of every single facility and what, what keeps things reliable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's something that we've talked about on this show before with a few guests like Ricky Smith or Howard Penrose is it really is a experiential based exam. And so if, if you've worked in a plant or you've worked in a mine or you've done this type of work for a while, like it's a, like you have a huge step up if you're going to go and try to challenge it. So it's something to just think about when you're out there like a lot of people ask me that question like how do you prep for it i mean there's a couple of books you can read definitely check those out but working in the industry definitely helps a huge amount
1: absolutely and in the second point that i always that i reinforce so much for the team is even going through the process and reading the textbooks and taking the exam you're going to be better off than if you didn't do that but if you hadn't done that, you know, you're still going to learn so much going through that process, even if you don't pass. So to me, it's still a big win.
0: Absolutely. I love it. Now, Ryan, one one thing that I was actually talking to Bob Latino the other day, and it was funny. So he, he mentioned just if he could bottle up your energy and drink it, it would be amazing. <laughs> I kind of feel that way, too. And, and I, I've noticed really with the more interactions I have with your team is is you've really built a very positive, energetic culture in your organization. Like, for a lot of us that worked in industry, like, it's very difficult. We, we you know, we're trying to change culture. We're trying to do that stuff. Now, like, like can you give us any insight on how you've built such an energetic, positive culture at Upkeep? You
1: know, I think... Uh, at the surface or at the, the base level, I am a very optimistic person. So I think that's kind of where it starts. But man, I'm only like one percent of the entire culture here at the here at, at Upkeep. It all comes down to the people that we bring on. It all comes down to the folks that we hire. And so to create like the positive culture, we have this, we have a few sayings around the office. And the one that always sticks out to me. And it's one said very, very often by my chief of staff, Caitlin. She always says, "It's never, it's never a no. It's never a no, and but it's always a yes and." So instead of saying, you know, no, we can't do that, or you know, but we have to do this, it's always a yes and. So we create this positive attitude by creating positive sayings like yes and. Um, another thing that we do very often around around the, the company and the team is we celebrate both the big wins and the small wins. You know, when someone finishes their onboarding after two weeks, we ring the gong and everyone celebrates. It's just a small little thing that we do. But those are the things that, that if you keep repeating them, r- repeating and rinsing them, you start to build this habit and the habit of positive positivity goes such a long way. And it starts with the top, but it, is emulated by every single person within the organization. The, the third thing that I'll add here too, is it's really a focus on the people. Um, we believe it for our customers. You know, we build software. We don't build software for businesses. We build software for technicians. We build software for people. And we put this strong emphasis on people and positivity around the, the people aspect. Before we put emphasis on the business, because we believe that people are the ones that empower and create a business. So we also look at the entire team and the entire company that way internally too. So it's not about like, hey, how's the, the, the company performing? It's all about how, how is each individual performing? And we know that if, we, if each individual is happy, successful in their own role, that's going to make the business successful too.
0: I love it. I really love it. And, and I think that that's something that we, in reliability, I mean, we sort of get it, we talk about it, but we talk more at this holistic level of culture. But like, what is culture? Like culture is a bunch of people, right? And it's like, when people talk in reliability about, you know, the new stuff, the AIs, the smart machines, all that stuff, it's like, if we actually make that guy happy and he starts doing his job in the best way that he can, Like that positivity spins up just like the negativity, negativity spins down. And, and you know, that, that's huge.
1: Absolutely. You bring up such a good point where it's, it goes both ways, you know, positivity breeds more positivity, negativity breeds more negativity. And I think it starts from the top and you create this culture, you create a habit and then it just starts spreading and you can, again, it goes both ways. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. Now, I mean, maybe something that I would like to hear about is like, how are you, like you've, you've staffed up significantly lately. Like it seems like every time I log to LinkedIn, I see a new person that got hired. Like, how do you make sure that the people you're hiring are a good fit for your organization?
1: Yeah, great question. It all comes down to our cultural values. We talked about culture. Um, we have three pillars i on, talk about each one of them. And these pillars are what guide us to making hiring decisions and making sure that we find the right folks. So the first pillar for us is we choose customers over revenue. The second one is we choose progress over perfection. And the third one is we choose grit over prestige. So I'll t- talk to you a little bit about like what that means to us and why there's kind of this antithesis to each one of them. So at the high level, like why we have a, you know, customers over revenue, that basically is telling us that we believe that cultural values are there to help people, individuals make choices between two really good options. And, you know, it's never, we we didn't create our cultural values like trust and empathy, because for us, like those are just baseline things that we expect every person to have. Instead, we created cultural values that are centered around to making a decision between two really difficult things. So when we when we are hiring, when we choose to bring people onto our team, we ask ourselves this question: Hey, is this someone that values our customers and prospects and people in this industry with such deep compassion, where that they would choose to? Choose our customers and people in the industry over revenue, and if they answer, if we believe that's true, that's that's the first check mark to us. The second one is we ask ourselves: Does this person will this person choose progress over perfection? Is this person gonna say, you know, hey, you know, I failed the CMRP exam, and that's okay because I got better, and I got better than, and I I landed better than I was. When I hadn't taken the CMRP exam, or are they going to be someone who's so just focused on absolute perfection? You know, us here at Upkeep, we don't believe that anything is perfect, actually. We, we believe that everyone and everything has room for improvement. We want to find folks that breathe this culture around positivity and progress and if you have that attitude, that's the second check mark for us in our hiring process. And then the third one is this idea of grit over prestige. It's not about you know all the things that you did in your past life. It's not about all the things that are on your resume and how prestigious those were. It's all about what, what we think and we hope that you're gonna do in the future. Do you have the grit to go through both the ups and the downs? And if you do, and if we believe that's true, man we we would love to to hire you, and those are how we make these hiring decisions here at Upkeep. I think that's what's enabled us to create this positive culture around the entire team that just breeds enthusiasm and and um just an amazing amazing group of people that I'm so fortunate to work with every single
0: day. Oh man i got you uh, I got a lot to say about this. whoo no it's so. I mean, I've been talking a, a little bit about it on LinkedIn and even on this show before. And like a lot of what you said there, I'm just going to talk about it personally because it's it's really been one of the reasons why I've had this problem with depression and anxiety lately. And it's really like I, I even went to a psychiatrist um, and what we were talking about was this, this value or or my value system of of perfection has really combined with some other stuff it really contributes to the fact that i don't feel like i am worthy and therefore like i should be dead type of logic and it's really interesting like this type of stuff where you're where you're trying to hit perfection and it's never possible and you can really spiral out of control and i have into this negative kind of mindset and so like, obviously you're talking about the opposite is true. And it is true. Like progress is, is sort of easy to attain, right? Like if you learn something every day, you're making progress. If you, you know, go to the gym every day, you're making progress. If you're working hard every day, you're making progress. And so it's like the opposite is also true is you can start building these pillars into your life that kind of breed positivity and breed optimism and, It just, you know, that spiral upward is, is I'm hoping that I'm getting on there now, but it's definitely something that, you know, everybody should be striving for.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Cool. Cool. So, I mean, there's, there's something I want to touch on here. So every time it seems like we speak, you, you always ask me at the end of the conversation, if there's anything you can do for me now, I want to know, like, what's the oddest request that you've gotten from that question?
1: (laughs) The oddest request. You're right. You know, the reason why I ask you that question, Rob, and why I ask everyone that question is because I've been so fortunate to be, to be, to interact with some amazing human beings that have helped me out in my entire journey. And I always ask the question because I'm trying to find ways that I could be helpful too, because they've been so, so helpful to to me um in terms of like the absolute oddest question that i've been asked let me think about that one for for a little bit i think um let's see the oddest question i've been asked I mean, it's interesting. Like, I, I can't remember anything that comes to mind. I'm, like, really trying to dig deep in, in my, like, archives right now. And I'm like, you know, I, maybe, the, maybe the thing that I'll, I'll bring up here is that people don't t- take me up on that offer enough. Like, I, again, I, I said it here just now. Like, I'm so fortunate that people have offered their time, their resources to me. And I'm just I want to find more ways that I can help out and people just don't take me up on that offer enough. So, you know, I've been asked to, to like, I've been asked to come on podcasts, but these are such simple things that I'm so happy to do. Honestly, I've never been asked anything that I feel uncomfortable with. Actually, it's always been like very, very positive things that, that I would love to support. So I actually don't have the best answer for you there, Rob.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think, I I mean, you've asked me a bunch of times. I never think that I've even asked for anything. I don't really, to be honest, like, I don't really think I have anything that I need to ask for. So it's, it's, we're in fortunate positions, I guess.
1: Yeah. And again, I hope that people do take me up on those offers too. I genuinely mean it that I've been so blessed, so fortunate that I've interacted with some amazing human beings that have helped me out on my journey and allowed me to get to where I am today. So next time I ask you that question, Rob, I hope you take me up on that offer.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, what is it? If, if all you're asking is if you want me on your podcast, the answer is always yes. So don't worry about that. <laughs> all right. There we go. <laughs> So one thing, you know, Ryan, like with Upkeep, you've recently rolled out a line of sensors. Do you want to just tell us, like, what sensors do you have? Like, how do they interface with your CMMS platform? Like, how does that all work?
1: Yeah, great question. So what we've realized in the industry is that people have got their own sensors. They've got their own IoT IoT setup. Um, and then they've got this completely separate system, their CMMS. And to integrate them, to to mi- migrate the data into a single unification, a single platform, that always seems to be the biggest struggle for companies. So what we said as a, as a company at Upkeep was that we want to help bridge the two. We want to bring both the sensors and the technology, the workflow automation solution under one umbrella. So that's what we've done. We recently rolled out, our second product called upkeep sensors. I'm super excited by it. We started out with just temperature sensors and we're gonna start slowly expanding or maybe quickly expanding, Rob, to vibration, humidity, um, voltage, all those other different lines uh, of sensors as well. We started with temperature because to us, that was the most common use case that we heard. It was, you know, hey, we just wanna monitor uh, the, the temperature in our, our cold unit or our freezer unit. And we've got a hundred of them that are scattered across the U.S. Um, can you give us an easy solution? And, and the whole premise of that is, you know, we want to give our customers the ability to sleep at night, know, know that their equipment, know that their units are within the right temperature range and On top of that, we want to be able to trigger notifications and workflows, which is the upkeep system. What we noticed is that most, most companies have siloed data warehouses that house all of the sensor information. And then they have a separate workflow solution, but the two don't talk to each other. So again, with upkeep sensors housed under the upkeep product line, we now bridge the gap between those two, make it extremely seamless to automate your workflows from the sensor platform, be able to set up high, high limit, low limit thresholds, learn from these patterns, and then kick off notifications to technicians, to facility managers, to plant managers, so that they can actually take action off of all of this data. That's what upkeep, it, upkeep sensors are.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love it. And it's something I've seen as well in the past is is that sensor data or the, like, whether that's, you know, pie data or or manual entry, whatever it is, it, it was being read and monitored in a separate computer system. And in order to make the notifications, either the person who was looking at the data had to create the work order themselves, or in one case, they actually built an interface that would kind of merge the two together, which was kind of a... I don't. I mean, it's a. It's an expensive solution. So it's it's great to see that you have that going on.
1: Yeah, and what we also saw too was that you know because you had two different systems, you'd have all of this data, and then you'd spend hours and hours and you know thousands of dollars analyzing this data. But then what? Yeah, ultimately have to take action off of that that information and data. And then that's the manual process of taking all this data that you've analyzed and then putting it into a CMMS to actually take action off of. And we realized that there is a big gap and there's a big hurdle to get people to cross that line. We basically said, we want to make it super easy for you and for all of our customers to do that.
0: So one of those those parts of taking action you know usually there's some sort of alarm system or flagging system where you know you'll get a reading and it'll be yellow or red and it triggers some sort of you know process whether that it tells somebody of that or it or it creates the work order n- notification already like how does the upkeep one work does it have like are you using machine learning or are you just using like static rules like how does it work
1: Absolutely. So when you set up your sensors, the first thing that we do is we ask you to put in a high limit, a low limit alarm. So basically you cross one of these thresholds, obviously it's going to ping you, send a notification. It also creates an incident and it starts timing that incident. So you can start looking at how many minutes, how many hours, how many days of the last month or, or, you know, out of the last day, have we been in this, have we been out of range? So one, it gives us this idea around downtime. Um, the second piece that, that we do is we take all of this data and we can start learning from it. Um, and this is part of our machine learning, artificial intelligence aspect behind Upkeep, which is you know now that we've got all of this data, we can start flagging things that go outside of your norms. We can start surfacing that to you. And so this is this is already built into Upkeep. I'm really excited to to launch this to all of our customers as well. Um, it's still in the infancy stage, but it's it's a it's becoming a real thing. Rob, I'm super excited.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool, and I mean, definitely huge value add. And I guess you know the the next question I had was. You know, I know it's in its infancy, but have you seen like have any of the customers had any wins yet or have you heard any feedback from it? A hundred
1: percent. We've launched upkeep sensors to several of our customers and almost on day one, we got we got tremendous feedback. And I'll just give you one quick example. Um, We actually installed upkeep temperature sensors across uh, the LAX you know, the Los Angeles airport, uh, food, food, uh, chains within, within the actual airport. And literally on day two, they thought that the temperature, that our temperature sensors were miscalibrated because they, we, they kept tripping alarms and we're like, man, you know, we, we go back into the calibration. We're like, you know, the calibration looks right. Um, we think it might be one of your guys's freezer units that's that's off. And they looked into it and they realized, "Oh shoot, like actually you're right. You know, one of the exhaust fans was broken and the refrigerant was empty and this this was just like a very very simple thing that had probably been going on for a very long time that they caught with upkeep with our upkeep temperature sensors. And that's a very very basic use case. But what I will say, the Biggest thing that it gave our customers across the entire board, and we talked about this a little bit before, and I alluded to it, is this peace of mind. It's the peace of mind that, hey, if something does go on, if something does happen that gets tri- that trips one of our thresholds, I'm going to get notified. And it doesn't matter whether I'm standing right next to that freezer unit or whether I'm 100 miles away. I'm gonna get notified, and I don't need a. I can sleep better at night, and that's the biggest value prop that we've learned from our customers. It's not so much that they expect their thresholds and, and stuff to be breaking left and right; it's that when it does, and if it does, they're gonna get notified before it becomes a critical problem.
0: As as long as that notification's not in the middle of the night, I'm happy, right? <laughs>
1: Yes, that's right.
0: That's right, Rob. And I and I've definitely been to some plants that would get notifications all the time.
1: <laughs> oh man, I hope not. I hope it's not too bad.
0: <laughs> well, so actually like to honestly, like this is a this is sometimes one of the problems with people who implement sensors. I mean, in early in my career, we we were actually hooking up the sensors were were already stock on the equipment, but we were hooking up a platform to do this. And what we found early was a lot of the sensors were already broken. So it was like, you hook this thing up and the sensors were broken. So there was a lot of upfront maintenance on that side. But on the opposite side is like a lot of people, because you're not reading the information or, or like it's new for you, you, there's a lot of upfront maintenance that maybe, maybe it had slipped in the past or it had slipped, um, recently and so it's it's not really surprising to me that you've gotten some quick wins early it's because people just weren't aware of that there was an issue and now that you're actually seeing the full picture you can kind of pick that up
1: exactly that i think you hit on such a good point rob which is just knowing a lot of people don't even have the visibility in their plant and simple things like this just give them that visibility It's, you know, it's not always about taking immediate action. The biggest thing is just knowing, Hey, what's on our radar? What's on our plate? What do we need to do over the next month to enable us to plan better? Uh, That, that can be the biggest, biggest win for a lot of people and a lot of folks versus like, Hey, here's like 300 breakdowns and 300 critical things that we got to fix yesterday.
0: Absolutely. Like it's, it's the planning and scheduling aspect is so valuable, like ordering parts in advance, being able to get the job or being able to at least plan what you're going to do and who's going to do it. I mean, all that stuff, everyone, I mean, everyone listening, we all know the value in that. And it's, it's huge.
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm stoked for this. This is definitely going to be the future uh, of what I believe the future of a lot of maintenance reliability software going forward. It's gonna combine sensors, it's gonna combine workflows and actions into one single system. Uh, You're already starting to see it today. And I I hope in the future, we're just gonna see a whole lot more.
0: Yeah, I I definitely agree. Now Ryan, you know, you guys always seem to be working on some new stuff. Is there anything new that's coming out of the pipeline that you wanna tell us about? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, let me let me make sure I don't spell too much. But what you can definitely expect from us, I alluded to this already. More sensors. You're gonna see different sensors come from us: vibration, humidity, uh, voltage. Um, you're gonna start seeing line speed sensors too. These are really important, really big for us. We want to give our customers the ability to track downtime, uptime, OEE. This is, and we want to do it in a single single platform so that you can take all of this data and hook it up into actual workflows. So that's really important to us. Coupled with that, you're gonna start seeing more automation too. I'm really, really excited. We've already started doing so much within the Upkeep platform right now, which is all centered around automation. You know, it's not just creating these workflow rules. Hey, a work order comes in during, let's call it the the off hours when Rob is off between 6 a.m. to 6 or 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So we can let you get some sleep. Why don't we trigger that alarm and send it off to our night shift? Why don't you know if a if a work order comes in with this category, enable us to automatically send a push notification, a a. Um, you know, text message to our plant manager and auto approve that request, you're going to start seeing even more automation that comes out of Upkeep that I'm really, really excited by. Um, the third thing that I've got here on, on this list that I'm excited to talk about too, more integrations. We talked about integrating you know, PLCs, SCADA systems, data warehouses into Upkeep to drive actions and workflows. You're going to just you know, quickly, slowly, slowly start seeing more and more integrations with other systems, other tools. What we realized is that upkeep is upkeep and a CMS is really the driver of action. But where the analysis comes from, comes from so many different data sources. And we want to be this like central hub that enables uh, your team to actually drive actions and workflow. The fourth thing that I've got here that I'm really, really excited by is just better reporting. Um, we talked about data. We talked about driving workflows. You're going to start seeing better, not just reporting, but better insights so that you could take data from you know, your parts department, your inventory. You could take data from your asset history to drive better analysis and better insights to make better decisions for your plan. I'm really, really excited. Obviously, these are just four things that that come top of mind for me, Rob. But man, our team is cranking away. We've got so much in the pipeline that I'm, I'm super stoked to, to release to the world and all of our customers.
0: Awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing a lot of great work. And I mean, definitely, like data is one thing, and but I mean, data in itself is not valuable. It's the insight or what you do about what you learn from that data, which is the real value. And so anything that can give you more information is definitely, I mean, it's definitely useful.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's data coupled with insights that drive action. That is what's, that's what is important. That's what's helpful. You know, data, data without insights, without action is nothing. You can't do anything with that. Driving action without any analysis behind it, without any data that supports why we're doing certain actions—you know—that you could be driving, but driving in the opposite direction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we, we've all seen—we've all seen action without data. That's for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you end up in the wrong location. You're trying to get from point A to point B, and you realize. Shoot, I'm farther than I than I was when I when I first started. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, Ryan, the last question I got for you, and and I, you know, I've I've kind of stayed a little bit abreast with what you've like the guests you've had on masterminds in maintenance, and you know, you've had some great guests on. And and what I wanted to ask you is like, what's the most insightful or interesting thing that you've learned from one of your guests? Most
1: interesting, insightful things. We talked about this in the beginning, which is our podcast is really centered around the humans behind maintenance and reliability and sharing their success stories. The most, most interesting stories that I hear is just how people get into this industry. Man, it, it's never the same. We always start off the podcast saying, tell me about how you got into this industry and what led you to a career in maintenance and reliability and where you are today. Every single time it's different. I literally got off a call this morning and I got to hear from a woman who works at Pepsi manages a team of 60 technicians, planners and reliability folks. And man, she said, she told me 15 years ago, she used to work in finance. And and she got thrown into maintenance and reliability because the finance team was getting, was getting outsourced to India. And when they got outsourced to India, the maintenance and reliability department was like, Hey, you should come work with us because, and, and you're going to make more money. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is a huge, I think, misconception that a lot of people have. It's like, you know, for me, I was thinking like, man, you work in finance. Typically people think people in finance are going to make the most money, but she was like, no, I make more money that. I make more money in maintenance reliability than finance than I did in finance 15 years ago. And just hearing these stories about people, how they get thrown into the industry and the careers that they've built, the, the lifelong careers that they've built in this industry is the most interesting thing. And I think we don't share enough of those stories. And now that's obviously a whole reason for creating the masterminds in maintenance uh, podcast, you know, 15, late 15 years later, she now again manages a team of sixty people, two hundred million dollars of assets, um, six million dollar budget. This is this is uh, this is crazy. I i i i am like a little bit taken aback by like how much of an impact that people in the space have that we don't see enough of.
0: Yeah, we we definitely don't see enough of it, and and I mean usually we only see it when something bad happens i mean like right now like i work in the pipeline business right and it's like you never hear anything about the pipeline business until something until something breaks and then we got a big problem so it's exactly and then that's
1: the point where it goes hey maintenance reliability what happened and it's never about you know hey when we do our jobs really really damn well that that you know we're gonna get the spotlight it's like hey that's just business as usual so um you know this is really core cool to me you can probably hear it in my voice i'm extraordinarily passionate about spotlighting the folks in this industry and the amazing amazing work that they do that's incredibly impactful to entire businesses
0: love it love it love it now ryan obviously for everyone listening, if they want to check out Upkeep, they can go to onupkeep.com. Now, are you going to be at any conferences? You, do you have anything else that you want people to check out? They could they should also follow you on LinkedIn. Is there anything else you want?
1: Follow me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active. I mean, you you follow me quite 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 a bit on on LinkedIn and it, you know, it's a ton of fun interacting with the LinkedIn community. I love it. You know, check out Upkeep. You can go to our website as Rob mentioned. You can shoot me an email too. If you shoot me an email at ryanchan at onupkeep.com. I'm going to a few conferences this year. We're still lining them up, but the one that I'll for sure be at, I'll be at the reliability web and also the the SMRP too. Um, those are the two ones that we got scheduled for later this year. But um, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll am sure i be going to a few more and hopefully I get to meet all of you guys uh, that, that are listening today.
0: Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it'll be fun. I'm hoping to, I haven't really booked any conferences yet this year. So it'll be fun. Hopefully I'll get out to the SMRP later this year. That'd be that'd be definitely fun.
1: All right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Awesome. Now, Ryan, I, I mean, I want you I want to thank you again for taking your time out of your day to come talk to us.
1: Of course. And thank you so much, Rob, for for having me a, a second time here on, on your podcast as well.
0: Absolutely. We'll have to make it three once you got some more stuff that's that's coming out of the pipeline.
1: <laughs> I'll, let's do it. I'll be really, really excited to share all the new releases that we've got. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Now for everyone listening, I really appreciate you listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. This was a fun one. Thanks for listening and we'll see you all next week.
1: Thanks, Rob.